Hi, thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're talking about Black Mold, the psychological horror film that's hitting the festivals and bringing in the praise. We're going to review it, and with us today we have the writer and director, John Pata. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. All right, we're going to start off here with Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where we discuss what strain of cannabis we're getting wrecked on. And uh, John, you got something nice for us today. What is it? Some, uh, I'm sure a lot of people heard of this one. Got some 707 headband. So, okay. 24.24% THC. All right. And uh, headband, it's also known as HB. I've never heard that, but according to Leafly, that's a nickname. You ever heard anybody call headband HB? No. <laughs> Not me either. It's a hybrid uh, cross and the I'm sorry, a hybrid marijuana strain and a love child of cannabis's power couple. I like these descriptions they give. <laughs> OG Kush and Sour Diesel. I did not know that. See, we're educational as well. I like both of those strains. Yep, you can't go wrong with either. This smooth, creamy smoke is accented by flavors of lemon and diesel, while the long-lasting effects are great for pain relief, helping you to relax and combat elevated stress levels. Uh, many report that the effects create a slight pressure around the crown of the head and feel as though you're wearing a headband. I have to say, usually I call bullshit on that, but I feel like that does happen to me when I smoke headband. I don't know if maybe it's all uh, psychosomatic mm-hmm. or yeah. not, but I have felt that. Anyway, have you? Uh, no. I can't. Not that I can remember. I feel, I just, I feel like if you did, you would remember. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's hard. To, I don't know. I, I don't know how some people remember, like, I can understand certain strains if you have certain memories with certain things happening, like when you smoked a certain strain, yeah. but, but when people are like, oh, when I smoked this, I feel this way, I'm like, I can't remember, I smoked too many different things to like, well, not different drugs, but smoked too many different <laughs> strains to Smoke pinpoint, like, crack. which one is like, oh yeah, this one's for this, and this one's for this, it's like, I don't know, they're, they're all just, I get baked either way, so. And uh, the effects have been known to come on slow, so pace yourself with this potent hybrid. Feelings are creative, euphoric, uplifted. Our uh, negatives are headaches, dry eyes, and of course the classic old dry mouth. <laughs> I uh, there was one review here that uh, let me see if I can't find it again. Oh, here it was. Uh, been smoking this, but for some reason now at three a.m. it's smacking me hard. I can feel the intense pressure in my face and slightly in my crown. Smoked. Okay, this starts with a parenthesis that never ends at any point in this review. <laughs> Smoked a lower dose out of a bong, so the crown feeling is a bit slight. Just came back from taking two more hits. So I guess this guy was typing his review in I, segments. I, I guess. I feel good. I'm in the zone. If you have a potent enough cut like mine, that crown pressure goes behind the eyes and it makes you makes your eye make actually no i read that right it makes you eyes watery at least right now in bed looking at my phone (laughs) nice and strong just how i like my lemon slash diesel strains tasty as well pretty rare still nowadays but if you see it grab it and funk that house up what the (laughs) fuck that is uh yeah i saw that review so i had to i had to share that one all right well uh i guess you're gonna spark that up we'll try it 
So yeah, look, uh, as far as current events go, there's a lot going on. I mean, this is the first episode of October, as you pointed out to me before we started recording, and uh, Saw X is in theaters. We're going to get a review out of that soon. Exorcist Believers coming out this week. We're going to be getting a review out for that soon i mean looking forward to uh both of those i'm looking forward to both of those but i have have zero expectations for both of them as well i'm just going hoping (laughs) to have a good time um how do you feel about it is rohan campbell an exorcist what the fuck is david gordon green just gonna bring him over we'll see yeah i don't know man i laugh but was, are you looking forward more to Saul? I mean, obviously you're a Saul more, but you're a big oh, Saul fan. Man, I do like but, Saul, but But like, you know neither one of these. I don't have, like I said, I'm, I'm hoping to have a good time. That's what I'll say. You say I'm very negative on movies lately, so I really don't have high hopes for either one of these. <laughs> David Gordon Green, uh, after Halloween ends. Let's see. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be better, but I think of the Nickelback song. Look at this photograph. Every time I do it makes me laugh when yeah. I see the trailer of Reagan. Yes. But it's not really Reagan. It's, it's just Linda Blair. Linda Blair from another movie. <laughs> yeah. And I bring that up to ever since you pointed it out to me, I've like told so many people. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Yo, you gotta see this. It's not even from the movie. <laughs> I mean, they could they could easily say that's an Easter egg, but that's kind of whack yeah. to use another a poster <laughs> yeah. from another don't movie. give people ideas that they just make mistakes uh that was actually an easter egg <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a poster from another movie actually an easter egg though it's not really an easter egg is it or like a person i guess it was a production still from another movie speaking of david Gordon <coughs> green actually so uh, it's funny that we're bringing him up um halloween uh is being shopped around now that Blumhouse is done with it. Saw that. So um, it looks like we might Damn. get more Halloween movies. They're going to bring Michael back. Obviously, he's coming back. I know with Jamie Lee Curtis won't be a part of the series. John Carpenter might. Who knows? But Halloween is being John shopped Carpenter around. has his own TV show coming out. But. Yes. And, uh, but, yeah, so uh, Halloween could possibly, like I said, more movies. A show's being talked about. And I heard yesterday, just yesterday, that A24 is in the running or for top bids, like in top bid basically for the Halloween series for, I think they want to develop it as a television series. Uh, what I actually saw about the television series was they want to set it in the world of Halloween three. And if A24 oh. did that, oh. oh, that'd be crazy. I didn't hear that. <laughs> huh? <laughs> You're just going to shake your head. I know when I say, that. let's give it to Robert Eggers. Let him do TV now. Nah, because I don't know. Like I like him, but his uh, his artsy, fucking ambiguous shit does not belong in Halloween. Don't, don't on do Halloween it. three? Yeah, don't it does. Do it. You think so? Halloween three has an ambiguous ending. Well, an ending, but not like every. I don't want to worry about like was the shadow on the wall significant to the <laughs> fucking. <you know>? See, <laughs> I don't want to have to worry got, about that. Damn, you got that ADD. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a fucking horror movie. But, but uh, um, yeah, I'm interested in that TV show. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, so. Blumhouse just used up Halloween like a like a beat up whore and just left it on the side of the road for somebody else to pick up. Yep. yep. Fucking disgusting. So we're gonna fucking throw Michael Myers in the meat grinder. And uh so, and, I mean uh, since it's October, I'm just gonna throw it out. You know, I watched Halloween twenty eighteen again. Yeah. And I was like, let me try to see if I can hate it because I, I hate <laughs> the last one. Nah, man, it's still it's good. good. It holds up. The I first know, one man. holds up. It sucks. I mean and kills the things I still like kills too. It was a uh, going back and rewatching it i said i originally originally yeah, I did liked kills that more as well. 
And I, I don't, though. I think 2018 was better, but I do still like Kills. Kills was off a bit, but it was like, okay, like, back in the day, slasher sequels barely, barely uh, exceeded their predecessor. So, uh, barely and rarely. So, it's like, you know, so for Kills to not be as good, I'm still kind of like, that's okay. You know, it was still good enough that entertained me. I wasn't, I, but, but ends man that just like how do you fucking drop the ball in every way conceivable like what i watched 2018 how? and then i watched kills the next day and uh was the extended cut is the one i bought yeah and i hadn't watched the extended cut since i bought it and i we watched halloween kills enough that i knew what the extended scenes were mm. and they made it worse i thought <laughs> okay like i didn't like I'm too high to think of them right now, but I remember watching. It was like that was longer than what it was, and it didn't need to be. All right, but was Danny DeVito's suicide like extended? Or Danny anything? DeVito's suicide. That's so fucked up. <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, in the extended cut, they actually see her dad. I believe. Like, okay. You don't actually see him, but you see him like looking in the morgue. And like that shit bothered me from Halloween Kills. Yeah, what fucking hospital just leaves the dead bodies in a room just now <laughs> where people walk? Yeah, right. <laughs> With not even, not even a curtain pulled across. Could have been a kid fucking looking in. You so know? rewatching Kills, I think it's fell a little bit for me. Okay. I think I don't know if ends has anything to do with it, just because I know it doesn't end up well going from there. But I mean, 2018 still solid. Either way, though, James kills. James Courtney Vicious. He's still, either way, regardless of what I think of the movies, he's still the best Michael Myers since fucking Nick Castle. No question. Like, his oh. performance as Michael. You know, Dick Warlock. His performance as Michael in those movies is not anything. I'm not questioning that at all. Fuck, I had a point. You made me lose it. God damn it. I was going to say one last thing because this strain wreck is distract me. Come on. This strain wreck just turned on us talking about the Halloween franchise again, which is funny. But one last thing. Watching Kills, yo, how did that black lady that uh, works at the cemetery survive? Bro, he stabbed her in the neck with a fluorescent bulb, and she has to lay there and watch as her husband just getting, or boyfriend or whatever, just getting stabbed like a pincushion. And that blood is just gushing out her neck, but somehow she alive and Halloween ends. Well, my point was, before what I forgot was halloween kill still has the dumbest fucking kill ever though with the fucking the, the uh car door hitting the nurse and uh <laughs> yeah. hitting the doctor and you know the fucking um uh, it's the nurse yeah it's hits the nurse's gun and a gun turns in yeah, where after, shoots after herself in the head. Smallwood got yeah killed. it's just yeah that was he ridiculous put up a much better fight. yeah but um okay and one more thing right. um of course i'm going to bring it up because we haven't we've been on hiatus and haven't been able to bring it up but yeah congratulations on the baby john Thank you. john Thank had a, a little beautiful little baby boy named yuri he's already getting corrupted <laughs> he ain't watching anything uh funny when halloween was on and i was feeding him i was like oh jamie lee curtis was here she called me a piece of shit right now <laughs> <laughs> that's good uh, uh. um but uh yeah uh like i was gonna say um first time we've gotten to bring this up so of course i'm gonna bring it up godzilla minus one yeah you, you, you know? showed me josh the teaser trailer then the full trailer yeah man uh the december 1st release date i can't i can't fucking wait is godzilla minus one a christmas movie <laughs> we'll see no but uh i've said this before on here like several times but uh i love when 
Godzilla is the hero, but my favorite movies are when Godzilla is that disaster movie. When it's like apocalyptic, like, holy shit, what are we going to do? How do we defend ourselves? Like, we're fucked. Those, those are the best Godzilla movies to me. Um, when humanity's like at its lowest and has to like fucking s- strive to th- survive if it can. Um, but uh, this takes place post-war and uh, the design is Heisei Godzilla and uh, Godzilla the Ride sort of uh, infused and uh, it's directed by Takashi Yamazaki uh, who I've never I've never seen anything he's done but apparently he's a, a, a good director and critically acclaimed. And uh, this is going to be the 37th Godzilla film and the 33rd. That makes it the 33rd Toho Godzilla film. Damn, and I thought Fast and the Furious had a lot of movies. <laughs> fam. <laughs> I mean, Godzilla about fam. But we're going to go see it, right? You're going to see it with me, right? Like, yeah, you're not bailing yeah, on this see one. It. I mean, it's no gamma, but I'll go see it. <laughs> it is technically a horror movie, so yeah. All right, well, uh, with all that being said, um, I'm going to take another hit of this bowl and uh, let's roll into horror history. This week in horror history. All right, let's get started with some horror hiss. I don't know if you noticed in the notes I started changing the spelling of words. Yes, I've noticed. <laughs> you did notice yes. it? Just I changed it from birth, birth to births and deaths. Like <laughs> I saw deaths, so I was like, oh god. <laughs> I, I, I made a, I made an effort to throw it in the middle, not off the bat, so that way you wouldn't see it. I caught it. It was towards the end. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, starting on October 2nd, uh, for a birth in 1895, Bud Abbott of obviously Abbott and Costello fame. Did you watch a lot of movies of them as a kid? Just, uh, the, the, uh, Frankenstein one, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. My dad, my dad was a big horror fan of the Universal Monsters. I'm sorry. Abbott and Costello, uh, the fucking, what the fuck? I'm uh, the Abbott and Costello Frankenstein movie. That's the one that I saw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they pretty much had horror comedies with pretty much every universal monster which i saw i'm pretty sure i've probably seen them all because my dad was a big universal monster fan and he was also a huge abbott and costello fan so we had like all of them uh 1936 david gale and the reanimator and also in the bride of reanimator uh, bride of the reanimator uh 1971 80s mall teen queen tiffany she was in Mega Piranha. <laughs> Mega Python. Mega Python. <laughs> that sounds like something H- Hogan would have been saying back in the 80s. <laughs> Check Mega out my Pythons. Mega Pythons. <laughs> 1986, Camilla Bell. Uh, she was in 10,000 BC, When a Stranger Calls, and The Lost World. Quickly, just totally unrelated. Jurassic Park movies. The original trilogy. How many of those are good? The first. Yeah, first one, right? Yeah. The other two aren't that great. Correct. Thank you. Nicole's watched them all. She's like, no, they're all good. I'm like, no. No. It's the first one. It's like the Scream franchise. Yeah, it's like, I'll watch them for dinosaur fun, but the only one that, the only movie that I take seriously and consider to be an actually good movie is the first one. 1999, Lee Richardson. uh, He was in uh, The Believers, which is a movie I keep waiting to go on sale on Voodoo. I've heard of it. Has an interesting cast. I want to see it. I'll probably be let down, but it's still one I want to check out. Uh, the Fly 2 and The Exorcist 3. Just in those sequels. Fly 2 is not that great. Uh, no, it wasn't that good, especially following up the Cronenberg film. But uh, I mean, uh, you know, how but, do you follow that? You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, for deaths, we have 1999 Lee Richardson 
who appeared in the film or i just jesus christ i'm fucking too high so i just announced him as a birthday he was actually a death mm-hmm. fucking struggling over here <laughs> just let me go just looking like an idiot i'm dude, i'm struggling too so i feel well, it's a headband bro. Yep, yeah uh films uh second best vampire film near dark 1987 like near dark a lot uh tremors three back to perfection 2001 tremors like uh is one of those movies that after the first one i'm out i think i've said that before i'm out after the first see i don't mind watching two uh three's okay and then i couldn't i was like i'm not watching a fourth one (laughs) i don't don't even know what number they're on now i lost track uh the ring 2002 i just watched that recently and i think i've probably actually said it on this podcast that movie aesthetically is like my favorite looking movie like with the rain and everything and that blue f- filter yeah, yeah that, just make yeah. every horror movie like that it's almost like a turquoise tilter yeah a tilter filter yeah. tilter and yeah. again brian cox amazing character actor and everything he does uh and also for films we have zombie land 2009 love zombie land but you really took the zombie land i always liked it but i mean you really liked it i well, I mean, it's got Emma Stone in it, so I'm already in there. What that came out, that's not how. <laughs> that was not on purpose. That, that that was unfortunate grouping of words. But uh, very very poor choice of words. Yeah. Wow, that was bad. Um, Zombieland. I'd have to think a little more on it, but just ooh, maybe 28 days later. But I guess that's not a zombie film. Mm. But uh, Zombieland might be my favorite zombie film, and it's a and it's a comedy. You like it more than Shaun of the Dead? Oh fuck! How did I forget about Shaun of the Dead? It's like a tie. Okay, fair enough. They're both really good. Be a good double bill. Uh, October third off for birthdays, nineteen seventy three. Lena Headey. I just want to include her because of Game of Thrones. I, lo- <laughs> I love Cersei. Uh, she's appeared in Grimm, The Purge, and I mean she played Sarah Connor. Right, and she was uh, the crackhead in uh, dr- <laughs> the crackhead uh, in Dread. She Remember? was the crackhead yep. in Dread. Yep, she played a scumbag in Dread, but she was awesome. Uh, Nineteen seventy-three, also Nev Campbell. Okay. From right. uh, Scream and uh, The Craft, which I actually just watched for the first time, probably about six months ago. I still like The Craft, man. Do you like the mac and cheese as well? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> the Velveeta is the best, though yeah i mean facts <laughs> i gotta tell you a funny little story about Velveeta. all right i don't know if my buddy will ever listen to this but uh one time he was going to the store with my mom and he was like i'm going to pathmark which doesn't exist anymore and he goes oh do you want me to pick you up anything i said you know what could you get me a bat a box of Velveeta mac and cheese you know like you know a square box yeah that you get so they come back he goes hey they were all out of mac and uh the boxes of mac and cheese so i bought a box of elbow macaronis and a block of Velveeta cheese and i'm just like what the fuck am i supposed to do with this block of Velveeta cheese like i just wanted a quick box of mac and cheese i don't want to like go through the whole fucking process like melting this down shit so, oh, that's pretty funny so what did you end up doing did i you... just didn't eat that night okay. like, it was already like 10 o'clock at night so like i'm not really trying to like cook i just want to throw like a pot of water on and just make like a quick box of mac and cheese and he was like they're sold out he's like well what well what would you have wanted me to do i'm like 
just come back and be like, hey, they were sold out. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Or you could have called and been like, hey, is there another uh, type of mac and cheese you like? Uh, in fairness, this was probably like 2008. Still, though, I never yeah. would have thought to, to bring back a block a of blo- cheese. Like, and like, you know, like, like there's like one or two noodles. pound blocks, like yeah, the rectangle. Yeah. just brought back a box, <laughs> a fucking block of Velveeta cheese. Jesus. Oh. Okay, so I just totally went off course there, back to heart hiss, but I thought thought you'd find that story funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, so if my buddy ever listens, hey, at least I didn't say your name. Uh, for Death, 1998, Roddy McDowell, who played Peter Vincent in the greatest vampire flick ever, Fright Night. He was also in Lost Boys, but he's awesome. Cornelius in the OG Planet of the Apes. And then also for Death, 2004, Janet Lee. I mean, most known for Psycho, obviously. I, you know I'm not a big fan of H2O like you and Nicole are. But I did love that scene with her and Jamie Lee Curtis and then her leaving in the car from Psycho. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome scene for sure. And then uh, films, 1980, Terror Train and uh, Hellraiser Inferno 2000. Got anything to say about Hellraiser Inferno? No, I'll say it. I always talk about Terror Train, though. I watch it every New Year's <laughs> Day. I love Terror Train, and uh, Hellraiser Inferno is just ass, man. No, I, I just, no. <laughs> it's just ass. Nope. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, October, moving on to October 4th for birthdays. Again, bling, blinging. Bringing up Planet of the Apes, we got Charlton Heston. And uh, he was also in the Omega Man. Yep, that was a good movie. Uh, 1941, Anne Rice, uh, Interview with the Vampire, wrote that and that whole that whole book series. I don't even know how many books are in that series. 1941, wow. And uh, 1942, Christopher Stone, The Howling, Cujo. This is D. Wallace's ex-husband, yep. yep. 1946, Susan Sarandon, Chris Sarandon's ex-wife. And uh, Witches of East Dick. And uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> you got me? Dude, you got me? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That Dude. was good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. I, I was reading that as you said it. And uh, it, I literally caught it as you said it. And yep, you got me. That was good. It's funny, though, because I always say that every Ooh. time to Nicole, and she gives me no reaction because she likes that movie. And I've said it. She's like, yes, I heard you. It, fucking, like, it pisses me off because you wanted a reaction, too, because after you said it, you like, peeked your head around your mic to see if I, like, <laughs> if I caught it. And uh, move it on. 1967, old cotter, weary-ass motherfucker, Liv Shriver. And uh, he also appeared in the remake of The Omen. And he's Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Uh, 1976, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, she was good as a psycho bitch in The Crush. Yeah, she was good in The Lodge, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, for yeah. all, like, ten minutes before she, like, splattered her brains everywhere. Yeah, she Harry carried herself. Harry Carey. I don't think that's how that how Harry Carey goes down, usually. I mean, and this is where I tried to throw in the burfs on you here on October 5th. But uh, the main homie, Donald Pleasance, I mean, he was known as a serious actor from his work in The Great Escape. He was the first to physically play Bond villain Blowfield. And uh, he found the horror genre later in life. I mean, he had the horror franchise, or the horror franchise, Jesus, the Halloween franchise, Prince of Darkness. I think there's a couple more I'm forgetting, but. And uh, 19. 19- oh, oh, yeah, he's done a lot of horror movies. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. there's The Freak or uh, what's The Freak Maker or stuff like yeah. that. He's not, he hasn't been, once he got into horror, he wasn't like uh, scared to uh, like do like the schlock. 
you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that was kind of cool too. Um, but um, yeah, man, Donald Pleasance, he went from, you know, the great escape to escape from New York. <laughs> Fair enough. Well done. Uh, 1952, Clive Barker, novelist, director, a six on the sliding S&M scale. <laughs> As per Joe Bob. Yeah, per, per Joe Bob. wonder if he's, like I said, I still wonder if he's a six. Uh <laughs> Just moving along on that one. 1980, Delaware's own Ty West. The X, Innkeeper, House of the Devil, Sacrament. What's your favorite Ty film? Um, I have to still say The Sacrament, man. I love that movie. Like, Besides that, House of the Devil. I used to think Innkeepers, and then I went back to House of the Devil. I really like X, though, and I still like X more than Pearl. I, I like the slasher. I, I love that slasher film uh, throwback that he did, and the fact that it looked so authentic uh that's that's what i really liked i liked x a lot so I, that's why i liked it more than pearl now I'm, I'm gonna cheat i think his best film is pearl okay but i don't i don't consider it really straight horror yeah like but my favorite horror film house of the devil movie's awesome <laughs> but the sacraments like right there too yeah the dude who plays father in there it's really good Joe, I think his name in real life is like John Jones as opposed to Jim Jones, the dude he's playing. So, hey, Bones. Yeah, John Bones Jones. And uh, 1983 birthday, Peppy Little Spitfuck, Jesse Eisenberg from Zombieland. Like, I've said this so many times. How is it like our horror histories? I feel like there's like groups and themes of like going through the week. I know. Like, exactly. A bunch of Planet yeah. of the Apes, Zombieland. And uh, films, uh, 2001. Gene Jones. Gene fucking Jones. Jones. That's his name. Gene Jones, not John Jones. Okay. Sorry Uh, about that. (laughs) 2001 for films, we have Joyride. Love Joyride. It's funny because, like, Nicole's seen, like, you know, like, we've talked about, like, she saw all the, like, teenage horror movies, like the PG-13 ones, like Scream and stuff like that. Somehow that one slipped by her. I showed it to her a couple months ago. She liked it? Because I was like, she was like, I've never seen that. I was like you would fucking love this movie like Candy i was like it's, i was like i was like and i'm not even like talking trash like it's bad because i like it too it's a good movie but i just felt like all the like type of horror she likes i was like that would be perfect and she liked it <laughs> yeah totally um speaking of themes october 6th for birthdays 1963 elizabeth shoe another delawarean and somehow one day apart from ty nice and uh deaths were a uh, makeup artist uh bob westmoreland uh he worked on the 1978 remake of invasion of the body snatchers close encounters of the third kind twilight zone the movie and uh for films texas chainsaw massacre the beginning in 2006 oh, i love that fucking movie man it's a good fucking leatherface movie jessica sure. beals well, no, she's not in that one. She's in oh. the uh, the remake. This is the prequel. That oh, shows yeah, you. yeah, yeah. This one's fucking fucking gritty as shit. Really. Yeah, like she's that. in the 2003 one. Yes, yeah. I I go back and forth on which one I like more. Like they're both really solid. I really like what New Line did. And uh, October seventh, we have Burst, Tom McBride. Uh, he might have the most memorable death from Friday Thirteenth Part Two. Oh God, yeah. That's a lot of steps. <laughs> uh, Dylan Baker from Trick or Treat and uh the cell he uh he he, he gets fucked up who's <laughs> dylan baker i'm trying to he's the one him. he he uh he has the kid 
Oh, <laughs> and Brian okay. Cox yells, "Smells like a dead whore back here." Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I, oh God, okay, yeah. I totally slipped on the name. Yeah, okay. He's the gotcha. one. He tries. He tries to like uh, prey on Suki. Yep, he's the vampire that ends up getting fucked up by the werewolves. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's 1849 Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, rumor is he cursed Delaware when he being thrown out of the Deer Park Tavern in Newark for being drunk. That's why Delaware sucks. He says, may all who leave, uh, enter here, never leave. Damn. I, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how you, how you prove it was true, but like Deer Park sticks with the story that that did happen. Interesting. Maybe it had its, to- it took its toll on Delaware. Yeah. Who knows? And, uh, that, that tw- curse is real. <laughs> 2011, David Hess from Last House on the Left. Uh, David he, Hess? He was 69. Nice. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> And stupid. Closing out, uh, uh, I've, the fucking week, Jesus. Closing out the week, October 8th for births, uh, 1920, just for you, Josh, Frank Herbert. Mm. Frank Herbert. 1943, R.L. Stein, obviously a big part of, uh, millennial childhood. Yeah. I remember all those scholastics coming in, like, I need. Like, like a fucking crack addict. I need the new Goosebump book. Dude, you fucking love Goosebumps forever, man. Uh, I had so many, I couldn't read all of them. I just kept, like, hoarding them. <laughs> uh, 1949, Sigourney Weaver. Weaver. <laughs> Probably. No, oh, man. Nope. I'm going to stop before I say something disrespectful. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, films. Uh, Dude, I have never seen this, but I just saw the film name, and I just... This is a film. <laughs> Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla in 1952. <laughs> okay. What the hell? Uh, Bella Lugosi. Like, that's, okay. that's the movie title. Yeah. Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. I haven't looked into it. I just wanted to include it because I saw the name. Okay. Uh, Children of the Corn 4, The Gather, 1996. Weird childhood memory. I remember it was a Sunday night. I asked my dad to record it because I saw it was going to come on one of the movie channels. And the uh, original or this one? <laughs> part four. Okay. And he forgot to record it. I think he didn't do it on purpose, but probably a good choice. <laughs> it wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, 2010, My Soul to Take. And also the same year, I Spit on Your Grave remake. Well, I Spit on Your Grave remake is one of the best remakes uh for sure like that's one of the best ones ever that goes uh and especially like that's up there with like the hills have eyes and uh things like that right now as regards to like best uh, modern remakes for sure and uh i guess now uh it's time to get into a little ppa little puff puff ass puff puff ass is the segment of our show where we read off messages that you listeners write into us on social media at High on Horror 420 or through email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or our website highonhorror.com. I'll start first. Um, okay, Gentlock on Instagram asked, Are you guys looking forward to Saw X? Now, I had this question picked out, but then we kind of already got into this earlier, so I'm not going to really go deeper into that. Like I said, I'm just going to, I'll just say I'm going to keep my expectations low. But, uh, 
John, if you have anything to say before you move on, I just want to ask you one thing. Does it even matter with people anymore if the Saw movies suck? I feel like as long as the traps and torture and gore is inventive and like, so, and like there's a surplus of it, I feel like that's all people want to see in these movies anymore. Like That's why there's so many terrible ones. I feel like people, like, the movie can be terrible, but as long as they come out of it going, dude, did you see that dude's face getting ripped off? Like That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, uh, first, here's the bowl. I hit, oh, okay. that, I, I hit that twice, so you could probably finish Oof. it. All right. But, uh, yeah, I feel like people are there for the traps, but I've talked with a bunch of coworkers about the new Saw movie. Because uh, I'm like, it's called Saw 10, but it or takes Saw place. Saw X. But it, it takes place between Saw 2 and 3. Yeah. And I'm not giving anything away. We haven't seen it. This is literally just from the trailers and the movie description. John Kramer has cancer. Yep. He goes to Mexico. He decides to try this experimental treatment that people are trying out to help try to fight his cancer. Yeah. Come to find out it's all a scam. They're not helping anybody. They're just being greedy and taking people's money. So John Kramer being jigsaw sets up a bunch of traps and a game to test these people so what you're telling me is that the people he's putting in traps we've we already know they're bad people there's no moral am and ambiguity to it like <laughs> i don't i said I, I the joke i say is i don't know who he needs to hear this but i imagine Lionsgate. Jigsaw's not supposed to just be the hero <laughs> like he's yeah. taking people that are doing bad stuff to people and that's not all what Jigsaw was about. Like, it, it was supposed to be... You're supposed... The, I feel like especially the first couple ones, you're supposed to take that line of, is he really helping people or is he going too far? Yeah, he's not supposed to be, like, the hero. Or, like, you're not supposed... Yeah, he's not supposed to be the hero of the movie. You're not supposed to be rooting for him. You're supposed to be like, yeah, fucking kill all these people. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, if you look at some of the early Saws, like, it was, like, drug addicts and stuff. Yep. And just stuff that he thought was bad. The one guy ate it too much. He put him in a fucking razor. Like... Yeah. Right. Like, th this one, you're just being like, yo, these people we know, they're scum of the earth. There's no redemption. So, Jigsaw's gonna come in and, like... Like, you're not supposed to be like, fuck yeah, Jigsaw, get him. <laughs> I mean, I guess, to be fair, as horror fans, we do that with movies. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like You're not supposed to do that. You're not to, supposed to, to, to egg us on to do that. To the normal person watching, the whole point of Saw is he's not supposed to be the hero of yes, the movie. Yes, don't egg us on to be make him the hero. Let us make him the hero, hero ourselves. But I'll be there next Leatherface, weekend to see it. Leatherface wasn't, you know, bumped up to be the hero of the Texas Chainsaw, but he is. You know what I mean? So just, not, like, I don't like the forcefulness of it. I will say, at least they didn't just throw a backwards baseball cap on him in this one I'm trying to say he's 10 <laughs> like years younger yeah. was it Saw 3? I believe yeah. so yeah which I will say the first three movies should have just been a trilogy and that would have been fine I would have left Pretty it much everybody, I still think 3 is a step down but I'd, I'd take it at 3 I'd it's a leave. step down stop at but three. literally I guess you could say it's not wrapped up but pretty much everything is wrapped up mm -hmm. like even that that Amanda, dude comes yeah. in, shoots her, kills her, Jigsaw's dead. The tape plays and was basically like, if you harm her, you're going to be stuck. Yep. I might be wrong, but if I, it's been a while it's since I've seen It's been a while, yeah. But basically, like, because he killed her, like, he's stuck in this room forever and he won't get out. Yeah. Everything's been, like, pretty much neatly tied up. And then we made now, Jesus Christ, seven more? Seven more. Talk about the Fast and the Furious. You mentioned that shit earlier. I'd still rather watch Saw. 
<laughs> I will say, uh, all except for part three of Saw, I saw pretty much up until uh, they did Spiral, I saw them all in theaters. Yeah. I, every year, enjoyed them for what they were. Doing the 31 Days of Halloween, the one year I did franchises, and I started out with Saw, and I was wrong. Way off. I knew they weren't going to be great, or possibly good, but I thought they'd be serviceable. But my God, watching them all back-to-back, day after day, that quality drops quick. Yeah, for sure. I got the Hellraiser quality drop. (laughs) The later one's the only thing that is any good. The only people that can act are Tobin Bell, Costas, mm-hmm. Matador. I can't remember his last name, but the guy, <laughs> but the guy plays. I call him Matador. Played uh, Hoffman. Yeah. And the woman that plays Jill Tuck was okay. Like those outside of those three, good God, that is terrible <laughs> acting. Yeah, like, I agree. Just like straight plucked off the street actors, like terrible. Yeah. And you want to know something fucked up? As I was talking to Kenny about it. And he goes, uh, dude, I thought Tobin Belt died. I was like, nah, he's still alive. I was like, he's like 80, but nah, he's still alive. <laughs> uh, so all that said, uh, not really looking forward to it, but I will be there next weekend. Yep, same here. So, <laughs> all right. So that was a long-winded answer talking about the entire Saul thing. They just go, nah, I don't think it's going to be good. <laughs> dude, I lost... Uh, quickly back to it i was going to go to the next question but uh uh jigsaw's the one that just really lost me like all the oh, other yeah. ones all the other ones i could forgive them for not being good movies but jigsaw like absolutely destroyed the character of jigsaw i agree yeah. oh i felt bad that i shouldn't have put you in a trap we have seven other movies where that never once happened yeah right Bro, I agree. So, some of the like i said one homeboy ate too much and he got put in a trap so you gonna tell me that that he felt bad for that guy yeah like i I just like i was like jigsaw's not supposed to be the hero jigsaw's not supposed to be empathetic either yep yep but uh what do i know not a whole lot i've never made a movie so they can tell me fuck off (laughs) anyway let me move on uh court samson answers what do you guys think of the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre game? I saw TCM. I almost read that as Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> I do that too, man. <laughs> um, so this will be an easy one for me. This is a little bit of a switch for us. I haven't played it. What? I thought for sure you played it. I haven't played it. What? I've seen screenshots. I've looked at it. I'm just not a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan. But dude, it is so fun. And I so know it'll fun. be fun, but it's just... It's, dude, it's essentially... It's Dead by Daylight, but with like better gears like the, like the, it's, it's better uh better controls like mm-hmm. it's it's really cool man i love it i'm hooked i haven't i haven't played in a week or so but i was going hard for days i had to slow down for work but i'm gonna get back into it this week um like i said the controls are smooth and uh it's just a ton of fun man and uh i've only been leatherface so far though so I'm, I'm gonna try and maybe be like the hitchhiker next time and mix it up or something but uh we'll see because i love being leatherface but i can't believe you haven't played it i haven't um should have probably mentioned this when we we're talking about current events but you know my high ass just gonna bring it up on ppa uh did you see the killer clowns from outer space move uh the movie mm-hmm. like the video game they're making i'd been on the discord and it just has been dormant for months yeah right i heard about that now apparently ilphonic bought it 
Okay. So, the ones that started with the Friday the 13th game, so apparently they're going to be developing that. Apparently, from what I understand, is if they keep it the same, the uh, it'll be a team of three clowns against six people. Oh, shit, dude. But, like, uh, yeah, like, I'm excite- excited for that one. To and come so, out. did the release date get pushed back? Because, like, wasn't it supposed to come out this year? Uh, it's the, the, They didn't have any release date. Uh, I've been on their Discord, and it had been kind of dormant, and then, like... It was like uh, we sold it over. It sounds like probably they got stuck and maybe ran out of money. Or I, okay. I'm fully speculating. Yeah, yeah, have yeah. nothing to back this up on. But Ilphonic did good with the Friday the Thirteenth game. I still enjoy playing it. Yeah, I do too, man. I scared the shit out of Nicole because I had the volume a little too loud, and I was just playing against bots, just as Jason, just you know, to relax, you know, just playing as Jason, going around slaughtering teenagers in camp, <laughs> yeah, right. just to blow off some steam. <laughs> With just like Nicole just hears like the screaming is like he's just like crushing her head. Dude, I had a funny moment happen and let me tell you real quick. In Texas Chainsaw, one of the things it's like it's three people, three family members versus five uh victims. Okay. So that's what they're gonna be doing Correct. with the killer clowns. Game. Right. So basically though what happens is like you start off in the basement, everybody starts off in the basement, and grandpa's upstairs and like when he gets alerted like by somebody moving upstairs like a victim or something then like all the doors open and you can get out of the basement um but like until then you know like you're just hunting people in the basement but my point is that there's um outside once you get outside and you're like in the yard there's wells and well the wells are i mean like you can't do nothing as a family member but the, the victims can like go down the wells to get away from you and like jump down them um i didn't know though that like when you jump down the well that like it takes like a little bit of toll on your health because it's kind of like a fall that's what i figured yeah yeah. um but uh i was uh leatherface and uh i mean the dude i I was leatherface and uh i was there was a hitchhiker and uh i forget who the other person was that was it doesn't matter but there was obviously the three killers and i was leatherface and i got two of the kills and then there was one each for the other two players and uh it was funny because I fucking hit this dude in the back three times with my chainsaw, and he kept fucking running. And I was like, how the fuck is he not dead? I was getting so mad. So I run up on him, and he's faster than me, but he runs up, and he's going over to the fucking well. And I was like, no, you fucking don't, you motherfucker. And I ran up on him, and right as he was about to jump in the well, I slashed him on the back again. And then he fucking still got down the well. And I was like, you motherfucker. And then like a minute later, it said like game over. He fucking died from the fall. And I was like, oh yeah, I got him. So then like that that kill went on my record. So I was really proud of that. But uh, yeah, we're going to have to play it sometime. It's super easy, dude. It's like a little 20 minute bouts. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Dead, Dead, Dead by Daylight. I enjoyed the Friday the 13th game. I'd really like a Halloween game. I mean, I guess the thing is, I guess you can be Michael and... Yeah, or Dead by daylight, but it's not the same thing. Imagine just being Michael, just creep. I would just be like, so I'd just stand in the corner of a room all day and just stand there dude, waiting for people. Dude, I'll tell I'd you though, it's hard to play as Michael. Yeah, I mean, but I kind of suck as the killers most time. But, um, dude, there's been times because like you can hold a button, and it's supposed to be like Michael's stalk ability. So like, you don't hear the Halloween theme playing; it's just silent. Yeah. Dude, I've been working on a generator, but the longer he stays and watches you, the more he powers up. So he doesn't necessarily just want to go in and attack you. So I'm working on the generator, and I just use my right thumbstick to move the camera, and I just see like Michael Stant, dude. Even though it's a video game, I don't know how many times I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Because <laughs> I just turn around and I just start running, and just hear the ding, 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 ding. <laughs> 
Uh, so all that to say, uh, no, I have not played the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game. Well, Pro- we're going to get you to do it, though, for sure. I know. I just... I need to get my Steam Deck back, and then I could play, like... I could probably play that more, but... Uh... Yeah, so... Uh, all right, well... Yeah, I got I nothing else. All right, well, yeah. Um, So if any of you have uh, any questions for us, any of you listeners out there, reach out to us on social media at highonhorror420 or email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or visit our website, highonhorror.com. Now let's get into our review of Black Mold. Black Mold is a 2023 American psychological horror film. Uh, photographer Brooke, played by Agnes Albright from True Detective, and her pal Tanner, Andrew Bale, sneak into an abandoned, off-limit buildings for the sake of their art and also the adrenaline rush. But when the daredevil pair break into their holy grail, Franklin Hill, a large facility with a history, they encounter a dangerously paranoid squatter, played by Jeremy Holm from Brooklyn 45. Uh, he holds them captive. Uh, the longer their attacker keeps them there, the more it becomes clear there's something else profoundly wrong with the place, as dangers surface at the intersection of artistic pursuits and internal sabotage. Uh, the film won Best Indie Feature at this year's Panic Fest in the United States, and Agnes Albright was also named Best Actress. Rightfully so. Yeah, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, our squatter, they just kind of refer to him as the man upstairs. Yeah. Uh, I really like that beard. I'm going to have to grow have to grow, <laughs> grow, grow my beard out like that. You're, you're getting there. I'm you're getting there. there. Yeah. I got that, uh, got that, like, Jack Black when he doesn't yeah. just doesn't care about himself you should get months. some like fake uh some fake bugs you could be like the fuck you could be uh, satan and uh hellraiser but the crickets <laughs> in your beard or uh alice cooper in uh prince of darkness there you go you're just like chomping on like roaches and shit Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. but yeah so what were your uh what's your thoughts on the movie we uh, promised john patta that we wouldn't do spoilers <laughs> normally we do spoilers for movies but this one we promised to keep sacred, so uh, we'll, we will we will keep the integrity of that. Yeah, shit had me uh, had me confused throughout the entire movie. Uh, very much, uh, you kind of get the. I don't know if this is really happening or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the unreliable narrator, and uh, there's some really uh, good uh, psycho shots, especially mm-hmm. of uh, Tanner. Yeah, and uh, tell me we. Who do you think you would be more like in that situation dealing with the man upstairs? Um, you know, you're being held captive. Do you think you'd be more like Agnes or more like Tanner? I'd be more like, uh, I feel like I'd be more like Agnes, I guess, because, I mean, Tanner, I have a little bit of a love-hate character with him because he's mouthy, but he's a pussy. He, he like, there's a lot of times that he didn't do shit when he should have, but he loved to talk shit and run his mouth. So, I don't know, I guess I'd be Agnes. Josh, 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 gonna be like, what's that clicking? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the vape. Uh, we should have like yeah. some, one of us pops up with that. That's the vape. See, I feel like I would have. Maybe not. <laughs> <That's the vape. laughs> I, that'd be funny. Um, I feel like I would more outward, out, outwardly a- act like Agnes, mm-hmm. but I feel like inside I would definitely be feeling like Tanner. Like I don't trust this guy. Yeah, he attacked us. 
all we wanted to do was film some abandoned buildings. <laughs> yep. Dude, I've always see. I always watch these movies, and they always make me want to go like just break into like abandoned buildings. But yeah. I'm like, I know the second I do it, I'm gonna get caught. And uh, you could, uh, you could tell right away that the movie was shot very clean with some solid camera work. I really liked that. Yeah, the cinematography was great. Agreed. Uh, I was gonna ask uh, you what you should do is start uh, getting a trash can, fire pit. Oh yeah, for what? <laughs> Just, 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 just to have fires in the backyard. <laughs> you just go out there, you just warm up. I don't know. It's, I mean, it doesn't seem like a bad idea, actually. It seems pretty peaceful. You know, I like bonfires it's and shit peaceful like that. life. Yeah. But um, I thought that, uh, I thought, you know, that the, the chemistry between Brooke and Tanner was really good. Um, I thought they had good chemistry. I believed their relationship on screen. Um, there's a lot... Um, I guess there's a lot I can't say to save face on spoilers, but there are a few scenes, one in particular, that spooked me pretty good. And the movie kept me guessing every time, you know, like then like we said, right? It kept us guessing every time, and even though we were seeing through like a perceived vision. And it's it's very mental. Yes, it's a, yeah. You you definitely do a lot of thinking watching it. Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, I I need to watch it a couple more times because. I wouldn't mind watching it a second time for sure. Yeah, maybe maybe Arrow Video do a release of that. That would be sweet, man. Definitely. But uh, yeah, I guess like what I got from it was like to sum this movie up. I thought trauma narrates life and dictates hallucinations. <laughs> I, I mean that that's a good way to look at it. I mean, but uh, yeah, trauma definitely uh, definitely affects in this movie and and in real life definitely dictates your life if you let it yeah uh i i'd give this movie an eight out of ten i think that if you listeners out there if you like horror movies that make you have to think and you know don't answer everything for you maybe they're not as artsy or hard to follow as things like the witch not to shit on the witch but you Dude, know if you, you always like loves, you always <laughs> love to just talk down the witch man if you like it's on my it's on my list this month if you like movies that uh make you think and uh make you come up with your own possible explanations that are ambiguous uh but also are very well acted and have a lot of intensity i think and suspense i think that uh this is the this is definitely the type of movie that the type of movie that you should check out wherever or whenever you get to see it i think you know black mold is definitely worth checking out i think the only type of people that wouldn't like this movie are the type of people that need everything explained to them and uh it's okay if you like that, but you know, like it's it's always nice to open your mind a little bit. Yeah, and get it wrapped up to listen to you. I just totally, <laughs> totally blanked on something I wanted to say, and I just skipped right over. <laughs> just I was gonna say, yeah, I, I give it an eight out of ten as well. Um, oh, now now I remember. Um, it benefits as something I feel like we've talked about numerous times. Of not trying to be too ambiguous with the setting. Yeah. Just letting it breathe in a smaller setting. And doesn't... I feel like that's a lot of times with these smaller budget films makes it look big. Because they're stretching out the budget to get all these different locations. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped a lot uh, with this film. Uh, Yeah, you're not going to get any straight answers. You can get your own answers out of the movie. But it's not going to... It's not going to have a solid resolution for you. Yeah, and I, I personally like that. If, if, if you like The Shining, then you can say you yeah. like you could watch this and totally be understanding. 
So, yeah, I'll go with you. Flat eight. All right, yeah. So, uh, let's get into some burn and learn. All right, we haven't done a burn and learn in a while. Let's do it. Oh. Hmm. Burn and learn. All right, burn and learn is the segment of our show where we read off trivia about the movie we review that isn't common knowledge or things you'll easily find by searching on Google. To start, the first shot in Black Mold was the first half of the opening scene, the exterior of the camera moving through the neighborhood. The lasting shot was the second half of the opening scene, the interior once the camera is in the house. The two shots later stitched together in the edit to appear as one fluid shot were six months apart. Wow, I would not have guessed that but that is i guess that really is coming uh full circle yeah composer nicholas elert uh used found materials from the film's location to create the score during production he created a large library of sounds from scraping metal on the floors and walls banging on the hvac system stepping on broken glass anything he could to make sound with and then he used those sounds as instruments to build and execute the score their picture car, a 1964 Jeep Wagoner, uh, died at the end of day one, and they needed it for two shots on day two, and their head of transportation wasn't able to get it running. Come day three, it still wasn't running, but he came up with a solution. He attached a spare tire to the front of a buggy, got behind the Jeep, and gave it a running push. When they needed the Jeep to back up, um, well, yeah, when they needed the Jeep to back up, he attached a tow cable and towed it out of the shot. Um, John then painted out the cable and buggy in post. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's one of those. They say that directing is um, problem solving on the fly, and that's why I think my anxiety would would have I'd have a hard time directing a movie when shit like that happens. But kudos to them for getting through it. So David Cronenberg. Cronenberg. <laughs> it's like a cone head yeah but david cronenberg anyway so <laughs> so david cronenberg uh when he was uh directing and had problems on the fly was it on the fly on the fly <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible dad joke anyway the Caston crew took over a holiday inn in a small town they rented the majority of the rooms every night they all ate together uh for dinner in the conference room and then two things often happen. Half the group went off into the hot tub, greatly exceeding the occupancy limit, <laughs> and the rest went on to their uh, to their set, decorator Tiffany Janinsky's hotel room for face mask parties. John never made it to the hot tub, which the special effects artist Brian Zurich referred to as crew stew. <laughs> when you think about it, it just sounds disgusting <laughs> yes, at some does. point. But John got down on a couple of the face mask parties. Yeah, I would. I, I yeah, that would be where I would be at for sure. Um, okay. Um, the den, which is where the scenes with the man upstairs take place, was a set built in an abandoned hangar. The texture of the floor was created by covering carpet shreds with sand, cocoa, and oatmeal. Huh. You know, like now that I know that, I can kind of. It makes sense yep. now. I can picture the hangar, but yeah. Yeah, well totally. done. Yeah, okay. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to our guest, John Pata, to talk more about the film. Uh, 
Uh, jo joining us today is the editor and producer of The Stylist, a film we've previously covered here on the show. But uh, today we're talking to him about the new film he's directed, Black Mold. Thank you, John Pattis, for being high on horror. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, John, I wanted to add, um, you're on horror, but our buddy uh, Joe Gavarkazian told us that you're not, uh, that you don't partake in cannabis. Um uh, I wanted to ask you, like, what your stance was on it, like, if you're against it. And I know you have uh, uh, past trauma like me, uh, so I was, like, you know, wondering um, how that maybe does or doesn't help you if you've uh, tried that. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm not against it at all. I'm completely for it. And I live in Wisconsin where we're, like, one of the few Midwestern states that don't have legalized cannabis and it's simply because the tavern league runs this state and the tavern league does not want legalized marijuana because then they fear that they're going to lose a bunch of money and i think that's absolute bullshit and if alcohol is legalized which i i don't drink i'm not i i used to drink i don't anymore i'm not a fan of alcohol but it's a uh, absolute horseshit that if alcohol should be legal then absolutely cannabis should be as well yeah. and um in I actually so I, I co-wrote and produced a feature called Gags the Clown that came out in 2018, and it was a it was a huge endeavor. It was very stressful, and uh, it was also at a time when my mental health started really taking a dip. And one of the co-producers on that, he just handed me a pen of indica, and he was like, "I really think you should try this." He was like, "I think you could benefit from it a whole lot." And I sat on it for a little bit. And then I think it was like 2019. I, I definitely, I used it from time to time and I found such great effects of it. I would just use it just to like relax and turn my brain off. Cause that's something I've never been able to do. Right. And so I did, I mean, I did use it for a little bit. Uh, I don't know if Jill actually knows that. So if Jill listens to this, she's probably going to be pissed <laughs> at me from withholding this information from her. But, um, yeah, I, I really haven't, I really haven't smoked too much, uh, in recent years. I do find, I think that there's a lot of benefits that come from it and, you know, uh, contradictory to like alcohol where there's actually no physical benefits that come from it or mental yeah. benefits. I think there really is with cannabis. So, so I'm all for it. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm just a weirdo. I don't do caffeine. I don't, I don't really do anything. So I don't. I might not partake, but I'm all for it. <laughs> That's good. And yeah, uh, I, I. Speaking of caffeine, I've learned mixing caffeine and cannabis is always bad for me. I feel. <laughs> I just feel like so jittery. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, "Why? Why? Why? Why does everything feel so so fast paced?" I'm like, "Oh, I drank like a twenty ounce coffee, and now I've like smoked." So. I actually. So I, I. I was really enjoying indica, and I always did it at home. It would be like a Saturday night. I'm done with work. I'm going to chill. And then in May of 2019, I was in Montreal, Quebec for this punk festival called Puza Fest. And they had recreational uh, cannabis up there. So I was like, whatever, let's just try this. And then I decided to try sativa, which I had never done. And I found out that sativa and I do not go well together <laughs> at all, especially when I'm in a room with like 300 people watching bands. I was, I, I hit that absolute like 
paranoid. I was confident that I was manifesting a whole bunch of negative energy around me. I was trying to move around and avoid all these problems. And eventually my friend Ariane, who who lives in Montreal and knows I don't drink and that, you know, I don't really use any substances, she came up to me not knowing that I was high. And it was, you know, it was like trying to talk to me about something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I just looked at her and I was like, Ariane, I am so fucking high right now. <laughs> and, and she uh, she laughed a whole lot. But that's the last time I ever tried sativa. does not mix well with me. I'm way more of a at-home indica, just chill, instead of trying to have like a stimulant side of it. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, I want to go towards the indicas. Yeah, it, it, for me, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. And uh, you brought up punk rock, and I was going to say, your Instagram bio sounds like we should be, like, best friends. I love punk rock. I love ska. Oh, yeah. um, who are were, who were some of your favorite, like, punk bands? Well, I just because you mentioned punk and ska, and I, I'm wearing a Stuck Lucky t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Stuck Lucky is out of Nashville, and they are one of my favorite bands of recent years. <laughs> really awesome ska core band that has very dark imagery, just like a moody feel. So yeah, Stuck Lucky, I cannot recommend them enough. But I mean, my favorite band of all time is the Suicide Machines. I bought uh, I bought their first album the day it came out on a whim in 1996 and just happened to stumble <laughs> across this band that would change my life. So, you know, I'm Suicide Machines are huge. The Swinging Utters are another big favorite That's a good of mine. One. Arms Aloft, which is a band from Wisconsin. They're on Red Scare Industries. Arms Aloft, one of my favorites. Love that band. Operation Ivy, obviously, uh, yeah. you know, like, and the specials, like those two bands, my life would not exist the way it is without Op Ivy and the specials. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's some good choices there. And Avail, I'm a big, I think there's an Avail poster right behind me. I love Avail. Iron Sheik, which is right by me here, too. Their newer band, Dead to Me. I don't know. I could. I mean, we could we could turn this podcast quickly into that. <laughs> and uh, also, you said you love uh, burritos. I saw you. Uh, you I, love veggie burritos. Now, do you, are you just veggie burritos? Do, do you like do you like anything else in, in your burrito? Well, I I haven't eaten meat in twenty two years, and so. So basically anything that is not meat, I will love the shit out of in burritos. I don't, I don't do a lot of cheese or dairy, but, um, I, in recent years, I have discovered that it's all about the salsa verde. I don't care what is in the burrito. If the burrito is grilled, that is a necessity. And you can even grill it at home in a, like in a frying pan or a skillet. If you have it, just pop that shit on there for a few seconds and then just smother it in salsa verde. Mm, amazing. <laughs> I do I do love my burritos. My burritos grilled. Yes. I, and actually, I told Jill. I was staying at Jill's. I don't even remember when that was. Two years ago? I was staying at Jill's. And often when I travel, a lot of people know this, I bring burrito fixings with me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I always have my burritos ready to go. And I was grilling a burrito in Jill's kitchen. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, girl. <laughs> Your life is about to change right now if you have not been grilling your burritos at home. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome! I don't think I'm that quite that committed to burritos that I that I bring my fixins with me. But well, and it's also a thing of just like depending on where I go, I don't know what my options are to eat, and so I like to just make sure I'm good, you know? Because yeah. thankfully now it's easier to find places with with 
options that don't contain meat, but sometimes that's simply just a salad. And I love salad, but when I go to a restaurant, I would like to have something more than that. And uh, how, how did you get into the horror genre? It was really just exposure from my dad. He was a really big science fiction fan. And so we would always, like, I, he took me to see Total Recall when it came out in the theater and I was four. Because my mom and my brother were gone and my dad was in charge of watching me. My dad was a big sci-fi <laughs> fan and he loved Philip K. Dick. And Total Recall just came out and he was like, I want to see this movie, but I got to watch my damn son. And then he was like, <laughs> I guess you can come with me. But through that, you know, it was also stuff like like Alien and John Carpenter's The Thing. Those would cross over. But then I saw Jaws when I was six. And that was, one, I loved it. But two, my parents were really great about letting me watch whatever I wanted, but they would talk to me about it just to make sure I understood. This was a movie. Mm -hmm. This isn't real. These monsters, people made them. These murders, they're not actually being killed. And they were talking to me about Jaws, and they, they were telling me that the shark didn't work. And I was like, what do you mean the shark didn't work? Because, again, I was six years old. And, and they said, well, you know, they had to make this fake shark and put it in water. And that blew my mind that there was people whose job was to make this fake shark. And people got to make this world where there's a big-ass shark terrorizing this community. So through Jaws, I then got turned into um, Movie Magic, which was a TV show. I think it was on, like, NBC or something, where they – they just showed special effects and and sets and miniatures and it was all about like the effects of movie world and that just again i was just like i can't believe people get to do this right so those two things were very very key about my my love of horror and then at the age of 10 i saw the evil dead for the first time and even though I had seen Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the 13th and Halloweens and like all the studio horror, Evil Dead was kind of my first exposure to real independent horror. And at the time, I didn't know what I was seeing was people that had nothing to do with film or come from a film background, get people together, grab a camera, grow in the woods and make some crazy shit happen. <laughs> right. It, it just, it felt different. And I loved it. And I became obsessed with it. And then from Sam Raimi's early work, I got turned on to Peter Jackson via Bad Taste and Dead Alive and then Meet the Feebles. And then through there was Lloyd Kaufman with Troma Studios. And I just, this whole idea of independent filmmaking and not having the money, not having the resources, but doing it anyway. And then that mixed with growing up in the punk scene and just like totally accustomed to this DIY do-it-yourself mentality, those two worlds collided, and, and that's when I was like, horror is the coolest <clears throat> shit ever. <laughs> well, um, it's funny that you said that uh, your parents like explained things to you, because that's exactly what I'm doing with my oldest son, Abel, who's about to turn six. I do the same thing. I literally, Jaws was like one of the last movies. I showed him the picture of Steven Spielberg, like chilling in the jaw, in the mouth of the shark. Yes. Same, yes. same thing. Like you said, like he's literally just blown away. Like that's a machine. That's a robot. Like, you know, and so it's an from Chucky walking behind the scenes, like how they have like dudes with like green legs who get green screened out and how like Chucky's just a doll. And I do the same stuff with him because I don't let him watch. He catches it when I'm a horror fan. He comes 
these like Chucky here and there, and who's that? And I don't want him to be scared, so I break it down for him in those ways, and he's definitely showing an interest in like that shit. So I'm hoping maybe he'll be my key into like movies one day. He could be an effects guy and get me on set or something. You know? <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, and kudos to you for for taking the time to actually like talk to him about this stuff. And I and I think it's like you're saying. He might not watch it, but he's going to come across it. And whether that's yeah. at home or with other friends or, I mean, fuck, you know, the internet is its own thing that we did not experience growing up. But um, I, th- I just think that's like so key. And this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I come back to it pretty often. My roommate owns a comic book store and I, I did part-time hours at it for a few years. And I was working there when Deadpool came out, the first Deadpool. And Okay. And a woman was in and she she said to me, she was like, can you believe they're marketing this movie towards my kid? My kid's 10 years old and he wants to see Deadpool. What am I supposed to do? I was like, well, what are you supposed to do? You got two options. You let the kid see it or you don't let the kid see it. Like, like that's your <laughs> options. And she was really upset. And she's like, I can't believe they're marketing it. And I was like, okay, or marketing it towards kids. And I was like, they're not marketing it towards kids. They're not hiding the fact that this is an R-rated movie. But you right. want to talk about what was marketed towards kids? When we were growing up, my toys were Terminator, RoboCop. Yes. Rambo. <laughs> RoboCop was marketed towards kids. And RoboCop is one of the most violent movies in existence. Seriously, And I dude. love it. There was Toxic Avenger. There was the Toxic Avenger cartoons. There was Alien. There was Predator. This shit was truly marketed towards kids. And my parents were parents about it. They they told me I could see some movies. They told me I couldn't see other movies. And then they talked to me about it to make sure I was okay watching this stuff. And I it just I think about that from time to time. Like, how insane is it that Robocop was marketed to children? <laughs> I mean, but Rambo I was it. too. I still have a Rambo yeah, toy Rambo. from like the original run. I'm like, he comes with a fucking knife, like a, a bayonet. You're like, really? <laughs> this is for a kid? <laughs> yes. I, yep. I remember those as well. Most definitely. And uh, your dad, uh, you're not the first person, you know, whose dad took him to a movie that they should have seen at, a, at a too young of an age. I remember my dad taking me to see The Crow when I was like four years old. So, I mean, awesome. I've been there. <laughs> um, oh, I wanted, yeah. I wanted to ask you, man, um, I, I heard in another interview, you said, you know, that you were like loving, like dabbling and making movies and stuff like as a kid. Um, but at what age did you actually decide that like you wanted to like be to make movies as a career? Um, well, so in when I was 22, I was a senior in college and I went to school for graphic design. Because my plan was to start a screen printing shop because I started screen printing in high school and I loved it. And I was like, well, I have to make a living somehow. And I guess this is a cool way to do it. But there was always that love of, of filmmaking. And so when I was 22, I, in my senior year of college, I made my first short film, which was called Better Off Undead, which was a 29-minute zombie movie. And I used to describe it, it was like, mall rats meets dawn of the dead but there was no mall so it was like <laughs> kevin smith humor with zombies and and that was just something my friends and i did for fun and then i didn't expect anything to happen to that i didn't expect to show it to anybody but 
in making a zombie movie, we needed a bunch of extras. And so there was more and more people that got involved. And I was like, oh, fuck it. Let's just let's just have a screening. Like, we were going to watch this just by ourselves. We'll have a screening. I got the theater on campus. And we had two sold-out screenings of it, which was, I think the theater held 200. So it wasn't, you know, like this massive, massive turnout. But it was really fucking cool and really exciting. And that was in 2007. And so it definitely pushed my desire to make movies even further. And then I started going to horror conventions and we would host hotel room screenings and just like, I met so many awesome people around there, but then I started the screen printing shop. And while working there, I was, I was really frustrated and unhappy with my business partner. And I eventually brought on an employee, which was a, a longtime friend of mine named Adam Bartlett. And we started chatting about stories and, in 2009, we started fleshing out an idea of a story that became a film we co-wrote and directed called Dead Weight. But I sold my screen printing shop at the end of 2010 to fund Dead Weight. So I guess 2010, I was 26. So I guess 26 is when I took, I guess I would say, a more significant step towards it. And then it was really like, 2015 when it became my full-time focus and at that point I was 31 and I'm 39 now so um you know I guess like the short answer which I should have done in the first place instead of rambling on for so fucking long was like <laughs> no, my fine. early 30s <laughs> <laughs> no the long answer was the better answer but um but listen <laughs> you're, right. you're you're a writer and a producer and an editor and a director You've, you've done it all. I got to ask you, what's your favorite thing to do? Most of our, our guests say that they prefer the editing process. I kind of, that's always my go-to. Like, I don't know if it truly is because I love every aspect of it. You know, writing is really exciting because that's when the idea is starting to come together and you're working through it and you're picturing things and like, there's an excitement about that. And then- yeah. Produ production's great, but production's stressful and miserable as fuck. Like, no matter what, because you're balancing schedules and availability and weather and locations. And I mean, just like filmmaking is nothing but problem solving. And from day one of production, nothing goes according to plan. So, production's really cool because, like, you're there, you're seeing it happen in front of you, but it's exhausting and it is really, really challenging. And then when you get to editing, Especially like on, on something like Black Mold where I, I directed and edited. All those stressors disappear because now it's just me in front of my computer. And I don't have to worry about what the weather's like. I don't have to worry about schedules or anything like that. It's just I can work when I want. But you can have the best day on set, but you don't know if it's going to work until you get in the edit. And that's something I always come back to. And I think that's why editing might be my favorite thing because that's when the the magic really starts to happen you're seeing stuff come together and you're piecing it you're like the puzzles in front of you i mean i guess that's wow now that i'm thinking about it, that's a really good way to put it. you're seeing the <laughs> puzzle pieces all in front of you and then when you start putting them together and they're connecting and then you just get that excitement where all of a sudden you're like oh i fucking got this and then that puzzle's now taking form that's totally what editing is so yeah i think Editing probably is my favorite. <laughs> it's interesting that other no, people said, say that awesome. too, because 
because <clears throat> I hear so many people say they hate editing because it's very tedious and you know, like there's a million ways to go about things and you have to find the one that works. So I'm glad that some people don't like editing because then I get jobs that way because <laughs> I could then, you know, like I, I could edit the stylist and, and, and stuff right. like that. So. Yeah. Um, some of our past guests have basically said the same thing as you. It's uh, this, like, you know, when you're filming, everything's kind of raw and you can see like what's going to be fixed about it while you're doing it. You know, when you're in editing, you're kind of perfecting it as you when you're watching everything come together and you're cutting out the shit you didn't want to see. And you know, like, that's pretty much like you said, you, that's like where the, magic happens so to speak and it kind of becomes hard to walk away you just want to sit there and finish the whole thing very much so absolutely i i uh i i'm starting on the stylist it was the first time that i was like really forcing myself to walk away like listen <laughs> to my body when my when my brain starts kind of getting stagnant when i'm looking at something and i'm i can't just instinctively figure it out. Okay, I'm tapped out. Like I'm done for the day. Because it's really easy to just stay in that edit for 8, 10, 12, 14 hours. But at that point your brain is shot. And are you even making good decisions or something that might take you 2 hours to do that night would actually take you 20 minutes tomorrow when you're rested. So I've been trying to get in that better practice of like just step away, just you it'll be here tomorrow. You can come back to it. <laughs> right it's always better to come back with a set of eyes you know um but i wanted to say that um so like you're getting a lot of positive attention and solid reviews from you know black mold that we have you here to talk to you about this movie and i just wanted to know like how does that feel hearing some of that like high praise and, and the good ratings that you're getting i mean you haven't heard our episode yet but trust me it's getting a glowing review on here as well, but you know, um, it did good at the festivals, you know, and um, I, I just wanted to, how does that feel to hear this, the, um, the, the, the positive reviews. And also um, there's a lot of people like us here that like movies that fuck with your head, but when it comes to things mm. like not being as they seem like when the audience is left to figure it out, it's kind of 50, 50 on who's going to like it and understand it. So I guess I have like a two part question for you. Was that something that uh, you were worried about when you made black mold and how does it feel hearing the praise that you're getting? Well, thank you very much. First of all, for, for just, again, just taking interest in talking to me, but also feeling so positive about the movie and it, it feels great to, to know that for some people the movie's working because mm -hmm. I, I know I don't write stories that are, are appeal to wide audiences, you know, like I'm not, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the stories that I get interested in and passionate about, they're not the most accessible type of stories. And so after multiple films of like dead weight, when we made that, for example, that, it's a zombie movie where you don't show the zombies. That's basically what it is. It's a survival movie. So this, the, the outbreak, if you will, is in the background and you hear about it and you know what's happened, but we'd never show it because we wanted to feature the characters. And of course, the response on that was like, cool, where are the zombies? Where are the zombies? Where are the zombies? <laughs> and then Gags the Clown was, was, everyone was expecting a clown running around killing people. And instead... That movie is Jaws. You could say Jaws is about a big shark that is attacking people, 
and you're right. But really, at the core, that movie is about the way a, com- a community is impacted by the events happening. And they're trying to adapt and sustain and the tension and the conflict that comes out of that. That's exactly what Gags of Clown is. But everyone was like, where's the clown? Where's the clown? Why isn't the clown killing people? The clown's on screen for like two and a half minutes. And so at this point, I'm like, well, all right. I know exactly what the critiques are going to be or what people are going to be frustrated by or, or let down right, by. Right. And so in some ways, and, and speaking of Jill Gavargazian, I mean, there's text that I have with her when we were finishing post-production on Black Mold that I was like, I'm just preparing myself for no one to like this movie. Like, and that's not <laughs> to say reflecting anything of the quality of the movie or the performances or the work that everybody put into it. But I was just like, I don't know how people are going to feel about this. And she was, you know, yelling at me. She's like, you can't have that attitude. You can't think that way. You got to think people are going to like it. And um, so it's, it's, I'll be honest, I was pretty surprised by, by the, um, the, the positive responses and, and delightfully surprised. Like, I'm very happy about it. And, and even the reviews that have come out that I've seen where people didn't necessarily like it, they're not just being like, oh, this movie's shit. They're just saying, ah, it didn't work for me. But they're still Mm -hmm. able to acknowledge certain things that are. And that's great because as a filmmaker, I like to know what is working and what isn't working for people so I can grow. But the thing that feels best about the positive reviews is it just makes me so fucking proud of this cast and crew. I mean, I've been so proud of them from the get-go and everybody worked their asses off and did such an incredible job. And we shot this film in actual abandoned locations. We didn't have power. We didn't have water. We didn't have heat. The power that we had, we had huge-ass generators that our G&E team were running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet of cable just so we could have lights, just so then we could plug in space heaters so we had like a tiny little warming area. We even we built a set, which we, we referred to as the den. It's where where the man is sitting, the man upstairs is sitting in his chair with the fire pit and where Brooke and Tanner are. That was a set mm-hmm. that we built, but we built it in an abandoned hangar. So yes, we built a set, but it was still in this abandoned location without any of these conveniences. And logistically speaking, this film was just such a challenge to make. But everybody came through. Nobody, everybody was cold, everybody was tired, some days people were wet when we had our rain scenes. And yes, people were like, this sucks. But they were still there to do their jobs. And they wanted to do their jobs. They did not see these, these issues or these challenges and back off. They ran right into them. And so th- when, I, when I see people talk positively about the film or if I read a good review or anything, that's immediately what I go to is that the cast and crew they deserve this. They earn this. And I'm just really happy that other people are able to appreciate all the work that they put into this. Yeah, absolutely. Well earned all around for sure. And, um, the, uh, the majority of the movie takes place in abandoned locations. As you said, um, not abandoned locations is, uh, the funeral home. Um, but being in, you know, just those few locations, that's great for budget, but what were some of the technical challenges of filming in those locations? Well, yeah, like I said, not having power or water or, uh, um, heat, like huge challenges. 
But the other aspect of it, and we knew this going into it, were just the conditions themselves. You know, the first house that Brooke and Tanner go to in the movie, when they go to the second floor, it's not really seen on camera, but the second floor, it was just insulation that basically had just melted and was hanging low. So because yeah. there's no wind, there's no windows and wind is blowing through, insulation is just getting blown all over the place. And August, who was our, our second assistant camera, I remember him in particular, he was just struggling because it was just all like going right to his eyes. So he's mm. trying to do his job, but then he's getting all this insulation in his eyes. And then just even minor things like we, you don't, you don't necessarily think of, or you take for granted, just a place for people to put like their coffee down or their, their water. You're like, Oh, there's raccoon shit right there. <laughs> there's uh, you know, I don't know what's over there. And so, so those are just challenges, but our production team just nailed everything. And one of our houses was like a mile, a quarter mile off the road. And we shot in March and the ground had just thawed. And so this dirt driveway just became like ankle deep mud and Oof. just wet mud. And we couldn't get our trucks down that to drop off all of our equipment. So we had to have people trucking it by foot or we had like a, like I think it was two four wheelers that we could load some stuff up but then run it down. And at the end of the night, you get done shooting a 12-hour day and you're exhausted. And now you have to pack up the truck, which is always the case. But now in this instance, you have to walk that shit a quarter of the mile up the road. Mm. And so it's just a lot of a lot of stuff like that. But I love abandoned locations. And I, I go into them for fun. I do photograph them. That is a hobby of mine. And so I'm accustomed to all this stuff. But I felt so bad that I was like, I'm here because I love this shit. But <laughs> some other people, they're really excited. But they're also like, God damn it. Why can't we just be in a studio? <laughs> like, Why can't we have the luxuries of, of uh, typical filmmaking? But I think, I think it gives a film a very unique quality. There aren't a lot of films that do take place in abandoned or in buildings like this. And oftentimes when they are, they're post-apocalyptic. Or, you know, like, could be a zombie film or a movie like The Road, but just to have kind of like a normal story, not in, well, I don't know if I should say a normal story, but to have a not <laughs> post-apocalyptic type story in these locations, I do believe it gives something different. And uh, I was going to say, like, the house on the Franklin Hill location, were they already, like, that bad? Like, how much work did you have to do to really make it that much worse? A goal of mine was to work with as much practical uh, set decoration as possible. So I would say what you see on camera, 80% of it is how it was. Some of the houses we did have to clean, like the, um, the first house they go to where the second floor is all insulation hanging. I'm not kidding when there was like half an inch of raccoon shit across the entire second floor. <laughs> and so that was something we did have to hire a crew to come in and remove that. But then what was really funny was we they removed it and we went up and we're like, now we got to dirty it again. <laughs> like it, it, looked, it looked too good. So there was a lot of just working what with 
with what was there. But then our art department did spruce up a few things here and there. And then even in that, that set that we built, everything you see in terms of, of set dressing, whether it's a shelving unit, there's like a vacuum cleaner in the distance, there's a file cabinet, that all came from our locations. We were very, we were very specific in just grab whatever you can find to build this set out. We're not going to buy anything. We're going to repurpose what is available to us. Makes total sense. Um, and uh, I wanted to say that I, I take notes, you know, I'm like, I'm like a nerd, so I take notes when I'm watching movies, things stand out to me. And one of the things that stood out to me in Black Mold is that the camera work is very, very clean and polished looking. So kudos on that. So I wanted to go back to asking you about like hardships during the movie. What was the most challenging scene to film from a technical standpoint, if you could say so without giving any spoilers away? Hmm. Well, thank you for that, and and uh, just the compliment on the cinematography. Rob Robert Patrick Stern was our cinematographer on this, and his entire camera team and the uh, the electrical side, they just killed it. And I've been working with Rob since 2013 when we shot a short film that I directed called Pity, and this was the first time I got to direct a feature with him, and I was really excited to because we've just established such a, a strong language and kind of understanding of of camera work that I was just stoked to get in there and, and work with him. And I mean, the hardest scene probably, and it's so brief in the film and this isn't even necessarily logistical, but towards the end of the film, there's a scene when Brooke goes outside and it's raining. And what made that so hard was it was cold that night. Now we mm. shot in central Illinois and for that scene, we're at the end of March. And typically the high is like 60, 65. And at night it gets down to like 50 something, which 50 can still be cold. But I think it was like 38 degrees that night. And the water that we had was a came from a fire hydrant. So the water came from the ground and it was freezing cold. And our wardrobe team had a scuba suit on under Agnes Albright, who plays Brooke, to try to keep her warm. But they had to modify the scuba suit so it wasn't popping up out of her uniform like or out of her wardrobe on her neck. And when that happened, I think it was the second take and she was in the rain, her whole scuba suit just filled with freezing ice cold water. And oh shit. She was she was fighting through it and she was like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, let's just get this. But it was so obvious that you know, she was just freezing, like genuinely freezing. And our set medic is checking her out all the time. And he's like, yeah, you might only have so much time before hypothermia could actually be a thing. And so when you hear that, you're like, we have to adapt. We cannot, we cannot right. keep doing this. So we got to get her out of that. We brought in a double to do some of the shots. But that was hard because we had one night to shoot that scene. And you... I I am I'm a very mindful person and I I want sets to be as healthy as possible mentally physically just just in all capacities and so as a director you're placed in a really unique situation when your actor you know your actors one willing to keep working but two keep working is making them 
it's jeopardizing their health. Mm-hmm. But then you also know you have to have a scene. You have like, well, okay. So then we stripped down, we were going to get all these other shots, but it was like, what is the bare essentials we need to get this scene? And how can we do this? That is both taking care of Agnes and consideration for her well being, and also getting this done. And I mean, that's unfortunately, that was a situation of, it was an indie film. You know, if this was a studio picture, maybe we could have split that into two days. And we could have yeah. come back the next night to get to get the rest of it. Just say, okay, we got this. We need to adapt. We need to figure something else out. We'll come back tomorrow, and we'll be able to do this more successfully. But that was a hard that was a hard night because uh, I just felt terrible. And and Agnes is fucking awesome, and she was so committed to this movie, and I appreciate that. But it's also like. You can only commit so much as your body will allow. Like at one point your body is going to say, nope, fuck you. So (laughs) that was, that was really, really difficult. I just felt, I just felt bad. And at one point she apologized to to me later about this and I didn't even take offense to it, but she said, what were you thinking when you wrote this scene in your apartment (laughs) when you were dry and warm and no joke going back to the crow because of the crow, I love rain at night. And yes. that is something my my short film Pity, the whole thing, it's a 7-minute film, Rain at Night. Other scripts that I have written that we haven't made yet, Rain at Night. And that is simply because of The Crow. And I'm not even lying on that. <laughs> I'm the same way. I love uh when it's raining at night and like cracking a window and just like listening to the rain, you know, like while it's dark yeah. out. Like I love that. I I think it's I never Pinned that it stemmed from that, but you're probably dead on with that. I'm gonna have to agree because I've always liked rain at night, so there's definitely some sort of uh, some sort of link there. Yes, and at least I should say on on screen, the reason that I love writing scenes that have rain at night is because of the crow. But as a kid growing up, my mom and I would sit on our porch and watch thunderstorms, at, and especially mm-hmm. at night. And um, so I think that that stems from because i'm the same way with you when it's raining outside i'm gonna crack the window and just sit by it and listen to it because it is beautiful and calming yeah um okay well i wanted to ask you did agnes and andrew spend any time together like off screen or were they friends before they got cast for the roles of brooke and tanner because they have like really good chemistry and i felt that with the movie being like with them carrying the movie on their shoulders, that's always important that your characters, not only can they act, but that they actually, you can tell that they like each other, that the bond that they're saying they have is real. It really felt that way. So I wanted to know, like, was there any sort of uh, like behind the scenes chemistry with them too? Or was that just them being professionals? You saying action and boom on the spot, they're just turning it on. Thank you. I agree wholeheartedly. I love their chemistry and it was genuine. They had not met before this, and actually, we cast Andrew Bales, who played Tanner, we cast him three days before we started shooting. So he got thrown into this super last minute, but we shot in in central Illinois, as I said, which was in the town of Rantoul, which Rantoul has like 13,000 people. It's a very small community, but... I mean, just simple to say, like, there's not a whole lot to do in Rantoul. And we pretty much filled a holiday in with cast and crew. And Andrew and Agnes spent, like, all their time together. 
when we weren't filming. They were obviously together all the time when we were filming, but then on our days off, they would there was a Walmart like half a block away and they would just walk to the Walmart and walk around just to get out of the hotel and they'd have their meals together. So there was a true connection and and genuine friendship that formed pretty fast and intensely because that's kind of what happens on films. You spend so much time together that it's just this, this bond happens. But I mean, they still, they're still super good friends and Agnes lives in LA and Andrew's in Chicago, but they're talking quite regularly and we've seen each other a handful of times since production. So, um, yeah, they, uh, they're just that professional, but also, yeah, they're friends too now. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to actually jump back to the rain at night thing here because me and me, me and my fiance fight all the time about leaving the window open when it's raining. But also I think I like rain at night because of Friday the 13th movies. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. part, part, part four and like the beginning of part five. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, part four is the best, right? Like, we're just going to go there. Uh, the part I'm six. agreeing with you. I'm agreeing. Okay, six, six is my second favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, neither one's a wrong choice. Right, right, right. Yeah, I love I love the, the brutality of the fourth one. Like, that one is just intense. Like, it is, it is a dirty slasher film. But then six... Is just fun as shit. They just embrace. They're like, we're the sixth entry in the Friday the Thirteenth movie. Let's throw a triple decapitation in here because why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, I still, it's still the best one. And CJ Graham told us it's his favorite kill in there is when he folds the sheriff backwards. Yes, and I think on the, is it the Blu-ray set? They had the, the full take of that. You know, yeah. like in the in the theatrical cut, it's pretty quick. But yeah, like seeing the full take was awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, now you uh, wrote an outline for what later became Black Mold, and uh, you wrote it while you were dealing with some depression, and then later revised it after attended therapy. How do you think uh, that helped change the script uh, after getting the therapy? Wow, that's a great. That's a really awesome question. Um, in some ways, I don't think I could have written the script before I was in therapy. And and just because I have such a different perspective on everything in my life now after going to therapy. I have a better understanding of myself. I have a better understanding of what affects me, but not just what affects me, but why it affects me and understanding how my past has influenced my presence. So um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say like this is the greatest script ever written. And other people, <laughs> other people might say that that um, it's not a good script. Period. But I think I would have churned out an unbelievably bullshit script if I would have first wrote this in 2016 when I had the initial idea and I wrote my outline. I don't think I would have understood where it was going and why it was going there. Like I knew in 2016, I kind of knew where the ending would be, but to be able to 
to give context to that ending. I don't think I would have been able to. So, yeah, I don't know. And I, and I was actually just talking with my therapist the other day about the film. And Brooke Tanner and The Man Upstairs, those are all reflections of my different personalities. Like, that, like my trauma is Brooke. My, my uh, anxiety and, like, lack of trust of people is The Man Upstairs. And then the, the uh, pretending everything's fine, but kind of uh, not being heard is Tanner. And, and so, yeah, I don't, but I know that now, like, I, I, I don't even think I realized that when I wrote it. But when I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is just my, my struggles with mental health put in physical form with each of these characters. So I think it's just a more personally influenced and complete script post-therapy. And I don't know if that makes sense for anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely relate to uh, the anxiety a lot and the uh, mistrust of people. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, this one's a little more of a lighter question than that, but the Jesus pin that Tanner finds—did you guys <laughs> yeah. make that? Did you guys buy it? Because, like, I want one of those. <laughs> well, so what we so okay, that was something. That day in 2016, it was August 2016 when the idea of black mold came to me, I was in a, a house photographing it, and I found a statue that I thought was of Jesus with its head gone, and I, and I took a picture of it, and so that's why I wrote it in the script, and then um, I, I, showed our, I showed our set decorator that photo as a reference. And she's like, John, that's not Jesus. That's like St. Peter or something. And I was like, oh, I don't care. I want it to be Jesus in this movie. <laughs> so, um, so we bought a couple of different statues of Jesus. I think, I, think, um, I think Sam got them from like a church wholesale place or something. And then we just broke them. And it was just like, you get one crack each, you know, if you break it too much, we're not going to use it. So the way it broke, the head came off perfectly. So uh, I have the statue that's on my, it's on my shelf, but we did not get to make more of those, but maybe we will. <laughs> and uh, did you purposely want to have a dirtier bathroom than the Saw movies? <laughs> I'm gonna just say yes. If that's the way, you, if you saw it as dirtier than the saw bathrooms, then yes, that was absolutely intentional. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, man, like I thought the first saw movie was like I thought that was the grimiest bathroom like I've ever seen, but but like you guys topped it. Well, thank you again. That I mean, that is all props to our uh, to our art team. And that was the bathroom and then the room outside the bathroom where the man upstairs sits with the fire. Those were our two sets. So they built that from scratch. And uh, I wanted to ask if there was any significance uh, to there being three scarecrows specifically. The, and are you asking in a religious context? Uh, no, just uh, more, more a general context if there okay. was... If there was, okay. if it was specifically like, oh, it has to be three. 
I, well, so it's, it's interesting because aside, you know, like there's the Jesus thing when, uh, they find the statue of the headless Jesus and then Tanner finds the head and that was written in there. And in the script, it was written as three scarecrows because I kind of was just like, well, one would be kind of scary, but three would make it even more (laughs) scary. And, um, someone on set brought up. They asked me if it was all if like this religious imagery was intentional, and I'm not a religious person. I'm a staunch atheist, and I have been for a very, very long time. But I unfortunately went to Catholic school for most of my life, and I had horrible experiences at Catholic school. I was abused at school, in middle school, and high school. And thank God I went to Catholic school because it made me an atheist. But I think that like there's some subconscious part of me that was like tapping into that part of my life with those movies or with those images. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Did, uh, I'm just going to say, I think I just wanted three because I thought three would have been cooler than one. Fair enough. Did something? Did were you th- were you wondering if it was a uh, connection to anything else, or did anything pop in your mind? I was, I was, think, I was, I was thinking a uh, connection between the three three characters. Ah, shit! Now you're getting deep and analytical. Yes, we're gonna say. It was, <laughs> we're gonna say well, okay. Actually, fuck. That's a really interesting. Huh. Got you know, <laughs> there, there might be something there because now as I'm like walk working through it in my head. Yeah, I was just thinking be. I just went too deep in the trying to figure out three scarecrows and it was just because it looks badass. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And maybe it was a little bit of both. Again, maybe subconscious was telling me three because of the three characters because CJ's represented with one of them, obviously. So then it makes sense that we would have a Brook and a Tanner. Damn. Damn! Can we rewind the clock and could you bring this up before before production? <laughs> um, I wanted to say that uh, at the climax of Black Mold, uh, shit hits the fan in every kind of way, and everything gets sucked into this downward spiral. Um, it's very tense and fast paced and very anxiety inducing. What was it like on set for those shots? Was the anxiety and tension real on set, or was it just like, you know, all like everybody chill and relax until you call it action? Well, again, thank you. Thank you for saying that, because that was my goal with that climax, is I wanted it to feel exactly what you said. So so that Absolutely. means a lot. And um, we shot the the final scene, which, just to avoid spoilers, what I'll say is, from when Brooke comes in from outside through everything that happens, we -hmm. shot that scene over the course of three days. And that was something that I, I don't want to say I fought for because it wasn't a fight, but that I was very stern about. I think initially the, the schedule came with it in two days and, and I just said like, there's so much emotional stuff going on on top of physical stuff on top of effects work that two days i sure we could do it i mean with with filmmaking you always have to do whatever time you have allotted but i really wanted three days so we could just kind of take it at a healthier pace and and 
try not to have it be so panic stricken like the actual scene. So the the scene as or the um, the set overall for Black Mold, I would say was was very casual. It was very fun because a lot of us have worked together. We just have a lot of great personalities together. So there's a lot of laughing and cracking jokes and and like everyone was there to work, but everyone's also there to have a good time and and I love that and that's what I want out of sets. But on those three days, I mean, it was definitely like it was it was more focused. And that's not to say that it was unfocused elsewhere in the production, but we did just have a lot, a lot heavier stuff to film. And like Andrew Bales, who plays Tanner, sometimes we'd have to reel him in because you yell cut. And then he's just like chatting up whoever's standing by him and cracking jokes. Cause he's just a very personable person. And we'd have to just be like, Andrew back to earth. Come on, let's go. Let's go. We got to work. <laughs> But on, on those days, especially for what his character goes through and does, he was removing himself a little bit more to like give him the space to like stay in a certain uh, uh, mental place, especially for the duality that exists between Tanner in that scene. So they were they were really long days, as every day on set is, but they were it it was a complete privilege to be able to shoot that scene over three days. And when I watch it now, I just, I can't help but realize that that was the absolute right thing because we really got to craft the scene the way that I wanted it to be. That's awesome. Uh, now you made me feel very nostalgic, uh, with the whole like film development stuff. Oh uh, yeah. As a kid, like, my parents converted our kitchen in times into, like, a dark room to, like, develop film. Um, that is amazing. Yeah, it just, like, blew my mind that, like, they could put this shiny piece of paper in this chemical, go take it to this chemical. Like, they had timers, like, going off everywhere. And, like, yeah. And, like, and you're talking about taking photos. So, did you have a lot of experience with, like, developing film as well? I did. So, I, I took my first true photography class my senior year of high school and um i was i was actually a kicked out of the catholic school that i went to that i mentioned earlier and then i went to a public school for my senior year of high school and it was immaculate compared <laughs> to, <laughs> to that bullshit but my my uh first my first semester of senior year i had photo one and my mom was a photographer growing up, but she never did a dark room or anything like that. She just, you know, would send her film off to get developed. And I just loved that process. And I loved being in the dark room. And then I took photo two in high school. And then when I was in college, I took three semesters of photography. Oh, wow. And so all of those were based in the dark room. And, and yes, I spent a lot of time in dark rooms inhaling those chemicals. <laughs> but, but in a way, the now I'm kind of making the connection, which is really interesting. The dark room is very reminiscent of editing, because again, yeah. like you, when you're when you're out taking your photos, you could know you get the right exposure, you think you have it in focus, but you don't know what that image is really going to look like until you're in the dark room. And then when you get in the dark room, you can control that image even further by burning certain areas or dodging other areas or the way that you load the film into the tray. And, you know, do you have, do you have the, um, the borders of that negative appear in your image? And yeah. So 
yes, I, I love dark rooms. I haven't actually been in a proper dark room in like 15 or 16 years. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's been a long time for me as well. And it's kind yeah. of funny. I forgot about the whole process about like, you don't really know. Like I know there's so many times when parents, uh, this one's not a good one. <laughs> Right. Yep. Yep. And I mean, and that's definitely something we don't show in the film. Is like, <laughs> yeah. You know, the test strips. You have to all this for this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's like crazy. Like, I mean, nobody's really had experience. It's like you're spending like five, 10 minutes just to, just to develop this piece of paper to go, Oh, this was shit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we even, we even went through that because we wanted to, to develop or to, to enlarge those photos practically. So we had like our on camera versions, which paper was already exposed. And when you're seeing the enlarger go off, we're not actually trying to expose any paper because we had certain lights that we needed on for filming. But then we turned all those lights off and then we actually were developing those photos and, and we were trying some of those, but we built that set in an abandoned building <laughs> and we couldn't, we couldn't get all the light that was spilling from various places. And, and Marin Celeste, who was uh, kind of in charge of all the darkroom stuff, she had like this huge tarp over her to try to make sure that there was no light getting in. And our, our situation was, was kind of amazing, but unfortunately the, the stuff that you do see in the film when the photos are developing that was all stuff digitally I had to do in post. <laughs> and uh, is there a message or anything you'd like people to take away from the film? Um, I, oh, gosh, wow. Also, I'm like, how do I answer this without sounding just like a pompous asshole? <laughs> um, I think if anything, and, and it's, because I don't know what everyone's ex personal experiences are whatsoever. But, and, and I, I hope people watching Black Mold don't fully connect to the experience that Brooke has had in her life. But if Black Mold can get people to, to reflect on their own experiences and their own past and, and just kind of where they are now, mentally and emotionally... That would be great. That would just be awesome if it if it if it allows people to to look at themselves and and you know maybe talk to a friend or talk to a therapist or or if it if any way it helps people on their mental health journey, even in the smallest form, I would feel like it's a success. Yeah, I, I don't think you have to go through the same things that Brooke did to relate right. re relate relate to her in the movie. Everybody's right. had their own traumas and past experiences that we've all had to deal with. And uh, we want to thank you again for joining us today. And uh, before we get out of here, uh, do you have any upcoming projects uh, that, that you can talk about? I know there's a lot of times... Actually, uh, are we allowed to with the strike? I don't know how, how that affects that, if you're allowed to oh, talk about anything. Right, that, and, and that's that's a very fair question. I and forgot I, all about the strike. 
Right, right. And I am I'm not in any of the guilds and and so there's I'm not a scab. <laughs> but I mean I but I, I I mean it's it's worth noting that I absolutely fully support these strikes. Uh yes. and I support workers in all fields, not even just the film industry, but uh workers should get a good compensation for the work that they do instead of all the money just going to these rich CEO pricks and assholes that run this world. So now that I got that out of the way, um, I'm, I'm definitely just in the writing process. You know, the strike does make it, we don't know when we're going to be able to go back to work. And so it's hard to even try to think about getting something going right now because there's just so much that is unknown at the moment. So Andrew Bales and I, Andrew who plays Tanner, We've been approached to, to develop something, so we've been working on that for the last uh, about two months and should be wrapping it up pretty soon. But I don't know what's next. I, I hope I get the opportunity to make another film, but it's been nine years since I directed between Pity, which was a short film, and Black Mold. And it takes a lot to make a movie. So many things have to fall into place. I'm not, I would love to think it's going to happen again. But I understand that there's so many factors that it might not. It might, but it also might not. So I, I really hope I get the opportunity to direct again because there's a lot of stories I have that I would love to tell. And I hope someday I'll have something that we can talk about again because that means that I'll have made another film. <laughs> That'd be awesome. We'd love to have you on again. And, yeah, uh, I would love to be here. So thank you so much. And uh, again, we love Black Mold. We're glad we got to talk to you about it today. And uh, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank thank you, you. Yes. Thank you for supporting the film. But thank you just for supporting all films and especially independent horror. We need people like you. So, so thank you, High on Horror. We appreciate it. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thank you again to John Pata for joining us today and to talk about Black Mold. Um, next week, we'll have a review of Amy, The Visitor. It's a weird title. It's a weird movie. It's from Full Moon, so you should expect weird when you get Full Moon. So we'll have a review of that for you next week. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media. Hi on Horror 420, Facebook, Twitter. Do we just call it X now? I guess. I always see X, formerly Twitter. So yeah. whatever you want to call it, X or Twitter, follow us there. TikTok, uh, obviously send your puff puff ass questions to highonhorror420 at gmail.com. And check out our website, highonhorror.com. Uh, I guess that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.